Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Now remember, church, this chapter goes back in time from where chapter 6 had reached in Daniel's life. Okay? Daniel had served three kings. He served Nebuchadnezzar, he served Belshazzar, and he served Darius. And in this vision, it's dated, it actually goes back to the beginning of Belshazzar's reign. So, why is it important that you and I study the Bible? Why is it important that we get and we do an exposition of the text? Because if we were to read it, we could get confused. And that's why a lot of people say, I read the Bible and I got confused. You've got to dig in. You've got to pull back. You've got to go, oh, wait a minute. Well, I thought, is this another Belshazzar? Is this the Belshazzar? We have all kinds of questions. And, and, and people get frustrated. The importance, church, of a Bible-teaching church should be priority on our list. We teach the Word of God. I don't know if you've are a YouTuber or watch YouTube or anything else, social media. But there was a church, a mega church, that is making frontline news on what they did on Easter Sunday. They produced a production of the Resurrection Sunday that just seemed to be crazy. And they pushed it to the edge of almost worldliness. And every YouTube, every video, every one that I've seen now, um, people are coming out and just questioning. I mean, that really wasn't what... We didn't need to have demons on stage for the resurrection. And that's where we're headed. So it's important that we grasp in Bible teaching churches. So Daniel has served three kings. He served three kings, and this is dated, this vision, this dream, is at the beginning of Belshazzar's reign. So we're going back in time in the book of Daniel. But let me remind you what we've learned. Okay, Daniel was established as a leading member of the kingdom. Now, okay, grasp this. When he came in, he God established him, God blessed him, God anointed him, and he was a leading member of the kingdom. But something's changed. His influence was declining as the new king did not fear God nor Nebuchadnezzar. It reminds us of another story in Genesis, where Joseph had very much influence until a pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph and decided to make the children of Israel slaves and didn't care who Joseph was. Same thing. Daniel, he was a man of influence, but the king comes up and goes, I don't know who this this Daniel is or his God, nor Nebuchadnezzar. And this was a crazy and a disturbing time for Daniel. You go, Ben, how so? How, how, how so? Remember, the influence for good that Nebuchadnezzar had in those last years following his restoration in his kingdom 
was now being lost. You guys know Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar was so prideful, and look at me, da 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 da, right? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, guess what happened? Pride, God says, no, 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 we don't play this game. You're going to go and be an animal and eat grass and grow long fingernails and have a long beard, and you're going to have saliva coming down. You're going to be like an animal for seven years. And when seven years was up, Nebuchadnezzar looked up and said, he's right, he's God. And, and it was such a great influence. And again, think about this. It was such a great influence. As he restored in the kingdom, I was like, yes. But now, in seven, well, it's being lost. Now, I was thinking about this as I was studying today, and I believe, I believe, church, that it's the same thing is happening today with Christianity. I want you to think about this. Put on your thinking caps. The body of Christ, Christians, Christianity, we're losing our influence for good as the world gets evil. We are now the minority. And it's sad because you and I have to be super careful what we say and how we say it. We have no more freedom of speech. We're not protected by the Constitution. We have to be careful. You have to think before you any type of conversation you're engaging with. Now, if you're a brother to a brother, praise the Lord, tell you know, that sort of thing. But overall, we're losing our influence for good as the world gets darker and darker and darker. And just having an opinion on something, something wholesome, something pure, is often met with violence and hostility. That's the world we live in. I almost hate to watch the news. Daniel, he's going to have a dream. He's going to have his vision. And it's a strange dream full of frightening images. And to some extent, the dream was a repetition of the vision of the four great empires which had been given to us on an earlier date with Nebuchadnezzar. The emphasis had been on the glory of the kingdoms symbolized by that great image. Let me have Sarah put up that picture again. You guys can see. Remember the first image. Okay, this is what this is what Nebuchadnezzar dreamt. We had the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, and then you had the revived or Holy Roman Empire right in here. Okay, God's kingdom hasn't come yet. It's going to come at the bottom as the rock that's cut out without stones is going to come and cripple all of this. Okay, so the thing about it is that this is that image. We're going to hold that image up there for just a minute. But uh, but I want you to see this is a this is kind of how it's going to correlate with chapter seven. You're going to see that great thing. But in the second view, we're going to take the form of fierce and these wild beasts who lived up to their reputation in destruction and violence. Now I'm going to show you that in a minute. But I don't want to bring it up just yet because I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Man often thinks that we're improving because of the information age. I find it funny to say 
oh, back in my day, we didn't have, I mean, we didn't even know what texting was. You know what texting was? Do you remember this? You'd open the window and say, yo, you know, and you'd yell out to, to the neighbor. That was your text. Send Ben home. You know, it's getting late. That sort of thing. That was texting. And it's funny, but as the information, guys, and, and we start getting, and then all of a sudden you have a computer in your back pocket that can do anything, anywhere, pictures, video, anything you ever want, and, and man thinks he's improving. Well, we're improving. Don't you understand? wonder what the iPhone 14 or 15 or 16 or 42 is going to be. This is going to be amazing. But all in all, if we take an honest look, man is actually, what, he's spiraling downward. Man is spiraling downward. Although human race sometimes takes a step forward, all too often it's followed by two steps backwards. We're going to see this demonstrated as the vision unfolds. How? Well, first with the political systems deteriorating and the wickedness increasing at the end of the age as it draws near. So you see, well, you go, Ben, that's, that's the world I'm living in now. Amen. That's the whole point. I wish I could tell you, hey, man, we're going to see 2050, 2060. I don't know. And if it's going to get worse than this, where's the bus? I'm going to go home. Where's the bus? Now, if you're taking notes, chapter 7 is divided in two. The first part is Daniel's going to speak of the dream he had, and then he's going to go tell the interpretation. We'll see that that was given to him. The vision is portrayed on the background of such a great sea which was being lashed into fury. Think about this, guys, by what the Bible says, the four winds of heaven. The troubled waters of the sea are used in Scripture, oftentimes symbolically, of restless nations of the world. We'll see. It's God's world, and he's ultimately in charge. Let's pick it up. Daniel chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 to 3. Come back and we'll, we'll talk about it. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night that, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from each other. Now, by way of introduction, chapter 7, okay, look at me, chapter 7 through 12, these are going to be visions which Daniel had. We're going to be looking at visions all the way to chapter 12. Chronology, the events... Um, of chapter 7 and 8 actually belong between chapters 4 and 5. And again, let me just jot this so, so you know. If you're taking note, what happens in chapter 9, we're not there yet, is going to happen about the same time of chapter 6, chronologically. You go, what happened in chapter 6? If you recall, it was Daniel in the lion's den. Okay. So remember, we're moving things around here so you can get a great, great view. Again, chapter 7 and 8 should belong, okay, earlier time. Back when Belshazzar just started to be king between 4 and 5. Chapter 9 happens sometime around chapter 6. 
And now the visions of chapters 10 and 12, they'll take place after chapter 6. So a lot of dump, and you're going, yeah, I know. It's kind of confusing, but I'll try to, that's why we're going to slow way down and say, okay, now we're going back. Okay, now we're going to move forward. As we make our ways through chapter 7, 8, 9, here's what I want you to keep in mind. That Daniel could not give any more detail than the Holy Spirit wanted to. And he actually says to write down the main facts. Go back with me, guys, to verse 1. In the first year of Daniel, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while in his bed. And he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Go ahead and underline that if you can in your Bible, because that's all the Holy Spirit says. Hey, Dan, yes, sir, I want you to just tell the main facts. Just the main, well, Lord, the dream was so vivid, it was so real, there was so much detail. No, sir, Daniel, you're going to just give the main facts. You go, what does that mean? Okay, so after the dream, Daniel wrote down what took place. Okay, stay with me. Verses 2 through 27, this whole chapter, record what happened in the dream. 2 through 27. Verse 1 and verse 28 record events outside the, the visions and the dreams. It's still up on the board. Let's look at verse 1 again. Okay, In the first year of Belshazzar, these are outside the dream, King of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and vision of his head while he was in bed. And he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Now, let's look at verse 28 because that's outside the dream too. Verse 28 of Daniel chapter 7 says, This is the end of the account, Daniel writes. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Can you imagine that you saw all of this from the Lord and he says, no, 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 Anthony, just the main facts. No, I want to tell them all. And, and Daniel says, and, and you understand, it changed me. There's something, it, it moved me. My countenance changed and I kept the matter in my heart. Reminds me of Mary. Reminds me of Mary when the angel told her that she was pregnant with Jesus and, and all of the things. And, and then in 12 years old, he's, and all of the stuff, she just kept the matter in her heart. Wow. 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 So what's the record? What's, what does he want to talk about? Well, we're not going to go all the way through verse 27. We'd be here all night. So let's look at verse 2. And it says, Daniel spoke saying, I saw my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The four and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from each other. Okay, so we got to do some work because this is not your typical dream. This is not, hey, I was dreaming of my child the other day and we were walking at the park and the water was great and blah, blah, blah. And and we all have dreams and, and that's cool. And sometimes you wake up and you have no idea. Some of you don't even dream. But there's some dreams out there. But this is like, can you imagine? Here's the dream I had. He said, the four winds of heaven, the four winds of heaven. And he says, and, and by the way, this was, it was stirring up the great sea. And I want you to notice in your Bible, the great sea is capitalized. Why? 
Let me give you some reference here, first and foremost, because most commentators that I looked through and I dug through, they likely believe this to be the Mediterranean Sea. This is the Mediterranean Sea. Now, to the Jewish people, the Mediterranean Sea, it was both dangerous and mysterious. If you go to Israel, if we're allowed to go to Israel in 2024, we fly right over the Mediterranean Sea. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, on my phone now, I have a picture from the airplane looking down, and the boat is so small. Well, you know that's where Jonah got swallowed by a big fish. And everybody goes, oh, that's, that couldn't happen. That couldn't happen. A fish is going to swallow Jonah. If you in the air, if you see the Mediterranean Sea, you go, my goodness, here's a big, a big giant ship, and it looks like you can barely, it's big. The Mediterranean Sea is big, but so is my God. And if my God said he created a big fish to swallow Jonah, I believe it. I believe it. God has his plans, and he has his purposes. But if you're taking note, I want you to jot this down. This is going to make more sense. The sea is sometimes used as a picture of Gentile nations. Gentile nations? Exactly. Now, let me give you some, let me give you some references. Psalm 74 and 13, you can jot this down, write it somewhere in your notes. In the New Living, it says, You split the sea, speaking of God, by your strength, and you smash the heads of the sea monsters. They've been traveling a lot in the Mediterranean Sea. There's not a whole lot of sea monsters, so the reference is what? Gentile nations. Let me give you another one. Psalm 89 and 9, New King James Version. It says, you rule the raging sea when its waves rise, you still them. This is the Lord. This is the Lord. Oh, but wait, there's more. It gets even better. How so? Every one of the empires that will be mentioned by Daniel, actually bordered the Mediterranean Sea. So you're like, whoa, whoa. Okay, well, and, 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 and still it gets better. Look, look at verse 2. The four winds of heaven were doing what? They were stirring up the great sea. What does it mean, four winds of heaven? The, four, the word for wind here is the same word for spirit. It, here it's in Aramaic, but it's rawuch, rawuch here, and it means wind. So you have spirit and wind interchangeably, and the illustration of the winds is actually found in Daniel 8.8 8, and in Daniel 11.4, but what it signifies will blow your mind. Why? Because it signifies the powers of God setting in motion the earthly realms. That's what he says. He says the four, what? The spirit, the winds, the rauk. You're like, wow. Wow. Well, why would he say four? Why wouldn't he just say, well, the spirit, the, the wind? Well, here's why. The number four in scripture signifies four quarters of the earth. And a lot of times this phrase could be understood as not the four quarters of the earth, but the forces of heaven. So in essence, here's what he's saying, guys. He says this, the forces of heaven were stirring the great sea. The great sea. Now, 
I've got to give you some comfort in this, Joe. I've got to give you some comfort. Why? Because we'll turn on our news and we'll see a, such a rapid decline that we get frustrated and we just go, Lord, but, I, but here it reminds me that God even now is controlling what Daniel is seeing. It was God stirring up the Gentile nations. I bet the people in Babylon in this day might have said, oh, I can't believe what's going on in Babylon. I wish we could go home. How long do we have to be here? Lord, don't you see the oppression that we have? Are you kidding me, God? Please, Lord. And all the while, God's going, be patient, be of good cheer. Be comf- it's, it's okay, be comforted. I've got this. I've got this. And I wonder how many people died from the Jewish takening, if you will, from the Jewish captivity. They pulled the Jewish, and how many of them died in Babylon hoping for the promise to go home, but they died there only to go to heaven and go, oh, well, they didn't go to heaven. They, and a whole other story, a whole other preaching. But, they, but they, they finally understood, they finally understood, oh, Lord, for you to be glorified. Wow. Wow. So the comfort I want to leave you tonight is though, although our world seems to be imploding and to be breaking apart and to, and to be catapulting at, at, at evil in a, in, in light years, we know that God's still in control. And He might be the one that's actually stirring this for His final victory. So what do we do? Some of us, if the Lord tarries, we'll take our final breath here and we'll, our spirit will go and be with the Lord. And when we get there, we'll be like, wow, Lord, cool. Some of us will be getting up in the morning and going to work and you'll hear the trumpet in your spirit and realize in half a blink, you'll be home. You'll be home. You'll be home. Notice the last part of verse 3. It says, The four great beasts, each different from another. So, in chapter 2, the segments of Nebuchadnezzar's image divided the metal types. I'm going to have her put that back. Put the, put the first one back up, Sarah. There we go. Okay, so remember the metal types, guys. Remember the gold? You had gold, and then you had silver, and bronze, and then bronze with iron, and so forth, right? And, and remember, this is Nebuchadnezzar's image, but it was divided by metal types. Each metal represented the qualities of the kingdom. Gold was obviously stronger, you know, more expensive. But here, in his dream, the characteristics of the beast described gives us insight into the kingdoms and the beasts they represent. So let's jump into the beast. Hold off on that picture for just a minute. Let's look at verse 4. Daniel is having this dream, and he says, here's what I wrote down. The first was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Most scholars agree the lion actually represents the Babylonian kingdom. Most guys, yep, 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 it's a lion, very swift. Now, here's what you need to know. The lion 
was a common motif of royal power. As a matter of fact, Solomon had 12 lions on either side of the steps leading up to the throne. You can find that in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 20, or 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 19. Now, remember that the first kingdom back in chapter 2 was described as Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar had a very, very powerful empire. Now, we have to chat. You go, why? Let's chat for a moment. I want you to note the way Daniel describes this kingdom. First and foremost, he says, I saw that he had eagle's wings and feet and a heart like a man. Well, let's, let's dissect them. What's he talking about eagle's wings? The, king, the eagle, if you don't know, is the king of the sky and is a picture of dominion. The beast has characteristics of a lion and an eagle. The eagle controlled the air, completely dominating its opponents. Babylon's control of the nearest east resulted from defeating two mighty opponents allied together. Those were Assyria in Egypt, and we saw those in the Battle of Carchemish back in 605 B.C., 605 B.C. But Daniel says, but wait, 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 wait. Not only did I see that, I saw he had a man's heart. Adding credence to the beast of Babylon, this description of a man's heart given to the animal. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar described of having hair like eagle's feathers back in chapter 4, verse 33. And here, the lion, the beast, has the heart of a man and stands on two feet. Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, was humbled and submitted himself to the God of the Bible, describing his transformation in chapter 4, and he wrote a letter to the world. Now, let me give you a side note, just a side note. Jot this down somewhere in your Bible. Babylon today is modern-day Iraq. Babylon today is modern-day Iraq. So you want to keep that in there. As you look at biblical prophecy, you go, oh, okay. So we have this lion. We also have a bear with three ribs. The bear must have been from Texas because he liked barbecue. You go, no, that's not true. Let's read it together. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they thus said to it, arise, devour much flesh. Can you imagine the dream? Put yourself in Daniel's, there you are in your bed, and you're having this dream, and it went from this weird, crazy lion that stood up on two feet, had the heart of a man, and, and, and his wings are plucked off, and you're just like, wow, and you're thinking, Lord, wake me up, and then you see another one, it's like, and then you see this bear, and he's got ribs. You know what I'm thinking? Man, I'm hungry. Maybe I must be hungry in my dream. I just, all I had was salad for dinner. Are you kidding me? Why is the bear eating rib? That's what I would think. But what does Daniel say? He says, and suddenly there was another. The second animal pictures the Medo-Persian Empire, guys. The Medo, and this was headed by Cyrus the Great, the Medo-Persians. The sudden transformation of kingdom is pictured in Daniel chapter 5 as the Persian armies, do you guys remember? They marched under... Neath the walls of Babylon, and basically the city fell with no deaths. It was all of a sudden. 
You guys know the story. Belshazzar was having a great time. <laughs> and then he sees the writing on the wall, and it was pretty much over. He died that night. The Medo-Persians had come in. But he says, like a bear, like a bear. Persia, after conquering Babylon, extended the territory beyond Babylon. The armies of Cyrus were the main two groups. They were called the Persians and the Medes. Today, guys, jot this down. The Iranians are the descendant from the Persians. So when you see the prince of Persia, you go, oh, that's Iran. But the Kurds, the Kurds are one of the Median descents. So you have, you have Iranians and Kurds right there. These two people unified together to defeat Babylon way back in 539 BC. But Ben, the dream had three ribs in his mouth. What was that about? Most people believe that most this view was the ribs as conquests of Egypt, Lydia, and Babylon. These three that the Medo-Persians came in, and he goes, wow, those three were major defeats, and those were representing of the three um, ribs in his mouth. Crazy vision. And if that's not enough, notice verse 6. After this, I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which has had its back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads, and his dominion was given to it. So he says, no way. I saw a leopard, and it had four wings and four heads. What's he talking about? If any kingdom is like a leopard, you want to jot this down? It would be Greece. It would be Greece. Why? Because it was Alexander the Great succeeded his father. His father was named Philip of Macedon, and he died in 323 BC. Alexander was 23 years old when he took the throne, when he became king of Greece. You know what he did? He set out to destroy Greece's old enemies, Persia. He goes, I'm going to take them. With lightning speed, the armies of Greece quickly defeated Persia, first at the Battle of Isis, there in 333 BC, against Darius III. They called him a leopard because the leopard's very fast, and Alexander, I mean, he just blew past his enemies. In the city of Babylon, where Alexander was proclaimed a god, he planned to establish his capital. In 323 BC, guess what? Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. History tells us that Alexander became depressed at the age of 33 because there were no more armies, no more um, nations to conquer. He'd done it all. And so he's sitting around tears and going, he's super bummed. And at, at 33 years old, he died. At before he died, he stretched out the Greek empire from Macedonia to India, defeating, guys, almost the most powerful armies in the world in 10 years, Alexander the Great. But he says this, this leopard, it had four, on its back it had four wings of a bird, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given this. Well, let me, again, here's some more history. After Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was divided into four generals. There's the four wings. 
Lysimus controlled Thrace and Bithynia. Cassander held the Macedonia, Greece. Seleucus took Syria and Babylon territories as far as the East India. And Ptolemy controlled Egypt, Palestine, and the Arabia Patera. You go, what do you mean? A really, really simple history. Four of his generals took, they basically divided the kingdom into four. You got a group, you got a group, you got a group, you got a group. There you go. There you go. The beast had four wings. Two more than the first beast. Do you guys catch that? Because the first beast was a lion, and it had two wings like an eagle. I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. You're like... I'm going to have to listen to the podcast. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. But why did it have two more? Here's why. Because Alexander was able to accomplish in 10 years' time what took other kingdoms just generations. Generations. But if that's not enough, notice verse 7 with me. We're going to see the beast with 10 horns and one little horn. He says, after this... I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had a huge iron teeth. It was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling a residue with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up from among them before whom the three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there, in this horn, were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and the mouth speaking pompous words. Now, about this time, I would want to wake up. Okay? Daniel cannot even describe this beast. The following beast, he sees, he sees a fourth beast emerge from where, church? Remember, the great sea, the, the nations. God is stirring all of this up. Now, if you're taking note, the fourth beast is Rome. That's the fourth beast. And it literally emerged from the great sea. Let me give you a side note. Let me give you a side note. I'm over here. My opinion only. Okay, this is just my opinion. I got a text the other day that told me the French Prime Minister Emmanuel Macron who I've been watching for years, just kind of keeping an eye, has actually sided with China and Russia. And I went, wow, that's a big piece of the puzzle. That's a big piece of the puzzle. You go, Ben, is this Emmanuel? His name means God with us, right? What does Antichrist mean? He's going to try to say that this is God. I'm God. I'm Jesus. Emmanuel. You go, is that him? I don't know. But I'd watch. I'd watch. He's the only French president that won two terms. And he's about to be done. He's about to be done right about when the tribulation could start. Oh, you're making all this up. Just look it up. Look it up for yourself. I found it interesting. All of a sudden, he's in the news again. Hmm. We know that Daniel tells us this fourth beast is Rome because it came from the great sea. Now, when it comes to Rome, here we got to jot this down, guys. Daniel gives us four important traits of a powerful empire. 
Number one, circle this word in your Bible. He says it's dreadful. It's dreadful. In contrast to the other three beasts, the Jews, the Jewish nation was affected most by Rome. Within 170 years after Rome came to the assistance of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish people would be nearly destroyed. And it wouldn't be until 1948 that a Jewish nation would come back into existence. Dreadful. He says, I also saw iron teeth. Look at your Bible, iron teeth. Iron is used to describe the fourth kingdom in chapter 2. The legs were made of what? Iron and the feet were iron and clay. The huge iron teeth made the beast different from all other beasts. Why, Ben? Well, this particular beast had a cruelness in trampling all its victims, crushing and devouring him. Your attention, please. New Testament mindset. This is why Israel hated Rome. They weren't, they didn't play nice. If Rome wanted a city, you understand that the Roman army was so powerful, they would go into that city and anybody who opposed them would be killed immediately, wouldn't even given a chance. They'd go into your neighbor's house and they would rape the women of the home, take the men, either killed him or took him as a slave, and then went in and took all of whatever they wanted. That's how Rome was ruthless. Daniel's going, man, I saw this beast. It had iron teeth. Iron teeth. It had cruelness. That's why the disciples were super bummed going, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom? We need Rome out. And that's why they hated the tax collectors and the chief tax collectors because they were getting money to fund that big giant Roman army. Can you imagine your next door neighbor working so that you would get trampled on or your neighbor or whatever it might be and you're just looking and you go, how could he do that job? And that's why when you think of Matthew as a tax collector and all the other disciples are like, how could you do this? Not to mention the tax collectors would take more than what was prescribed And so again, they're extorting more money, and they live in a lavish lifestyle. You could see, you could see why Peter was excited to go to the Passover so Jesus could rule. You're going to be king, right? No, 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 it's a different kingdom. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. Lord, don't say that. Don't say that. You're our only hope. Your only hope. He says ten horns. Ten horns. The beast has ten horns. Circle that in your Bible. Horns in Daniel and throughout Scripture represent kings and kingdoms. You need to know that. The horn is the defensive and offensive part of the beast. Here, Daniel interprets the horns. It represents ten kings and ten kingdoms. And the kingdom is also associated with the king in verse 24. We'll get to that here later on in the month. But then he says, I saw another horn. Everybody say another horn. Let's try it again so you wake up. Another horn. Daniel is describing a strange event in the vision. He pays particular attention to an event taking place on the beast regarding the order of the horn. Among the ten horns, he sees a little horn with eyes 
a boastful mouth comes up. In the process of this little horn being revealed, three of the ten horns are uprooted and removed. You're like, okay, who do you think that is? Dun, 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 dun. We'll have to get to that next week. But it's good. That's Daniel's dream. That's Daniel's dream. He's going, wow. And, and, and so you have this ten-nation confederacy, and we'll talk about that next week, I promise. But then you have one, and he was speaking pompous words. And all of a sudden, three of the nations didn't want to play, so somebody got rid of them. Interesting. Interesting. Now, now we get a glimpse of something interesting. It's the sovereign God who's in control. Notice verse 9. I watched till the thrones were put in place, and the ancients of days was seated. His garment was like white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Now, this is a crazy dream. Not only do you see this. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and have... um, Put up the second image so you guys get a clue, and then we'll jump into the final. Look at this. So it all correlates here, guys. So this is what Daniel saw. Daniel saw the lion, the wings, has the heart of a man. Then he sees the bear with three ribs. Then he sees the leopard. And then this beast, we don't even know what it is. But you have ten horns right here, and then you have one horn. And he's going to knock off three other horns. And here, here, this is all about, right? And it's going to end up in the end times, you can see. It's the revived Roman Empire as we get down. So chapter 2 and chapter 7, they're going to go hand in hand. And we're going to talk more about that later on. But in the midst of the dream, I thank God. He says, I watched till the thrones were put in place. And, and a reference to God is the Ancient of Days, and he was seated. And now here's this description. Now remember, he's only given us the main facts. I mean, could you? He's probably going, oh. And he says, check this out. This is God. Ready? His garment was white as snow. His hair was at the hair of pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth before him. And notice who's around him. It says tens of thousands, innumerable people were there ministering to him. The court was seated and the books were open. Okay, it's like Daniel sort of got a widescreen view of the dream. He says, as I was watching all this, thrones were set in place. Then God took his seat as judge. But I want you to note the description. You go, why? Circle that word for the books were opened. You go, why is that important, Ben? The opening of the books is a picture of God's heavenly court. Justice is about to take place. The citizens of heaven are about to witness the ancients of days pronounce judgment. 
that's about to go down. Now, here's what I want you to keep this keep in mind. Where are we during all of this? Right now, you and I are in heaven watching the little horn, the Antichrist, during the seven years. That's where we are. Wow. What's it called? The tribulation period. The tribulation period. So Daniel writes in verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words, which was the horn, I was, which was the horn speaking. And I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given into the burning flame. As the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What's this little horn doing? It's speaking pompous words. It's characterized by great and pompous words. And Daniel is amazed at what he's saying. He's actually like stunned at his words. As a matter of fact, we see a similar scene where John focuses, um, like Daniel, on this particular head of the beast. Uh, Jot this down. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to put it on the screen. Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Revelation 13. Jot that down. And, and John writes, and he was given a mouth. Who's he talking about? Same thing that Daniel's talking about. He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. Three, right? Three and a half years. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, to blaspheme his tabernacle, and to blaspheme those who dwell in heaven. He's talking about the Antichrist during the tribulation. Daniel says, yeah, this this goes hand in hand. This is correlating right here. But my thoughts are, why would the Antichrist blaspheme those who dwell in heaven unless he's been there? And he sees the great paradise that you and I are going to spend eternity. And he says, okay, I'm going to blaspheme God and his name. His only goal is to... Okay, let's go back. Our goal is to depopulate hell and populate heaven. His goal during the tribulation is to depopulate heaven and populate hell. That's his goal. That's the Antichrist's goal. That's all he wants to do. Back in Daniel it says, and I saw the beast slain. Daniel witnesses the destruction of this terrible beast in what he would call a fiery flame. And this is a summary statement of the final outcome of this beast and its horn. God is victorious and the beast is judged in a fiery flame. Well, Revelation also parallels that with greater detail. Revelation 19, 19, and 20. Jot that down somewhere in your notes. We'll look it up on the screen. It says, And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered to make war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured... And with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who deceive, who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. 
These were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Revelation 19, 19, and 20. 19 and 20. Do you see that? Do you see how that goes? He's going to see this great fiery flame. That's where they're going to end up. That's where they're going to end up. Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they all know where they're going. It's those who don't know my Jesus that are going to go with them. And God employs you and I as believers to try to win some of them. That's why we're here. Somebody prayed for us. Somebody spoke to us. Somebody said, hey, I don't want you to go to hell. And that's our job, guys. And I would encourage you as, as, as the church is to look for those divine appointments. And don't be afraid to ask for an invitation. Don't be afraid to ask somebody if they want to give their life to God. I believe his spirit is moving so great that we're ripe for people to get saved. But I also know that if Christians become timid and we don't feel like we have any influence in an evil world, then we'll just sit back and we'll wait and we'll miss opportunities to share Jesus. Pastor Ben, we live in Lubbock. Everybody knows Jesus. Not everybody knows Jesus. Look for the Lord. Give me a divine opportunity. Give me a divine opportunity. Where am I supposed to be? Daniel sees the fifth kingdom, and we'll finish with this. In verse 13, he's going to see the Son of Man. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, glory, and kingdom, that all the peoples, all the nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. What's he talking about, guys? It's when the Lord comes back and he sets up the millennial reign. And you're not going to destroy that kingdom. And it was given to him to have dominion and glory and power and kingdom. Now, we're going to get into that so much more next week. Here's my encouragement to you. If you can bring a notebook, if you can bring, because we're going to talk about all of these things. It gets real deep, but it's going to help you prophetically. You're going to see how these two correlate, and you're going to go, oh, I understand the Bible. I know what he's saying. Okay, okay. Well, what should I do? Well, is it for you? It's not for you to preach, but to get your foundation so set that you'll see, oh, this makes so much more sense. But for tonight, here's what we come to. Daniel has this dream, and it's intense. It's intense. We need to make sure we're right with God. Amen? Amen. And there's no better day than today to say yes to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, tonight, thank you for your word. Lord, I know, Lord, I gave them so much information. So much Bible, Lord, so much history that sometimes they're looking and it's like rattling their brains. Oh, I understand, Lord. But through the power of your Holy Spirit, 
you're the teacher. And so, Lord, help them to put things together, even questions they might have, and say, yes, I have questions, and or how does this fit in, and how does that fit in? It'll all come once we get deeper into the interpretation. Thank you, Lord, for history. Thank you for 2023 that we can look back. But, Lord, not only are we looking back, but we're also looking forward because it's happening in our day. And so the most important thing is that we're saved and that we have, a, we have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so I, I never want to leave a meeting without giving anyone here an opportunity to repent and say yes to Jesus. Maybe you've come in broken. Maybe you've come in sad. Maybe you've come in and you feel like you're a million miles away from God. But let me give you some encouraging words. You're not only a million miles away from God. Listen, you're one decision from coming back to him. And it's no mistake that God brought you here tonight. It's no mistake you're watching online. It's no mistake you're listening to the podcast or even listening to this via radio. God's been knocking on your heart and he's asking you to say yes to him. Well, what do I have to do, Pastor? All you have to do for just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And by you raising your hand, you're signifying, God, I want God to speak to me. I want to repent. I want to give my life to him. I want to say yes to him. I know he has a plan for my life. I've been running from him. But today, I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to come back. God bless you, brother. God bless you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're, if you're ready to come back to Jesus and you say yes to him, will you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want, I want to come back to Jesus. I see you, my brother. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Yes, Lord, I don't want to be left behind. I pray for these hands that were raised. What great encouragement it is on a Wednesday night that, Lord, you would be saving your children. Thank you so much. So, God, today I pray for them. I pray that you would just um, just use them and bless them. Hey, would you do me a favor? If you lifted up your hand, would you just stand right where you're at? I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer of a rededication to God. God bless you guys. God bless you. Would you pray this prayer after me? There's not enough to save. It's just you committing to God right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I've walked away from you, but tonight I'm coming home. Thank you for bringing me here, Lord. Thank you for opening up my heart. Here's my, here's my heart, Lord. I'm a sinner. I've blown it and I've messed up, but tonight you've touched me and I'm ready to give my life to you. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you were buried. I believe you resurrected. We just celebrated that. But Lord, if I'm being honest in real life, I need help. I need you. So that's what I'm saying. Come into my heart and be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand, y'all. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.